This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast, Transformative Principle and author of the book, School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I am Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Ethra and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and the misuse of digital devices. And Jethro, today, this is about misuse, if ever a show was. (laughs) (laughs) I am so excited. This is going to be good. Today, we're interviewing one of the world's leading experts from the field of investigations, but we also talk to people from education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyber Ethics, an independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. It is with particular pleasure that I introduce you and our audience to Marcus Morena, who is an investigator with the Chittenden County Public Defender's Office. And in my guise as a computer forensics expert, which I've done for the last 22, 23 years, um, I've worked with the Chittenden County Public Defender's Office for most of that period of time. And more recently, I've had a chance to work with Marcus since his arrival in the office. So Marcus, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. 
Uh, it's a real pleasure, and, and we appreciate you jumping on and filling a hole in our schedule, and it's going to be great to talk to you. So uh, let's get started. As we discussed before the show, I think one of the things that people will be interested in is how do you wind up investigating for a public defender's office? What brought you there? It was totally by accident. I found <laughs> this job 100% by accident. I didn't even know you know, that this was a career path that you could, in theory, take. I always tell people, when people want to know what I do, I always say, have you watched any sort of cop show that's come out in the last 20 years? So CSI, NCIS. Anything. (laughs) And and usually the answer is yes. And I say, well, do you've probably seen the part where they put the cuffs on the guy and they start talking about you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be provided to you at the cost of the state. And everyone says, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. And I say, I work for that attorney. <laughs> I work for that attorney. That free attorney, I work for that. I totally, like I said, I totally fell into it by accident. I went to the University of New Haven, which is kind of like one of the premier criminal justice schools in, you know, the the Northeast or so, along with John Jay. It's kind of up there. And I went to school studying forensic psychology and sociology. And my goal was very much like you, Fred. I wanted to become an expert witness. I wanted to make the buco bucks and um, <laughs> tell people, tell people, what what was wrong with their clients what was wrong with their witnesses and 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 make tons of money just to sit and talk and and to do a lot of you know for lack of a better term intellectual masturbation and i was really oh, we may have to do an explicit tag on this episode let me just <laughs> take note of that real quick did just fred not warn you about that did fred not tell you that <laughs> but i have the worst mouth known to mankind i'm, I'm gonna try to keep it relatively clean but um so in order to graduate, though, you need an internship. And a lot of forensic consultants, forensic psychiatric and consultants, they don't, they don't take on undergraduate interns. You know, I was, I was ready to, to just coast along, go to graduate school, get to tons of debt, and then pay all that off and then make buco bucks like all the experts that we hire here do, you know. And <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Fred would know firsthand, but anyway. yeah. <laughs> but I needed an internship to graduate, and I was panicking because I was like, nobody's going to hire an undergraduate intern. What, what the hell am I thinking? So I had a friend who I was talking to about this, and she goes, oh, you know, my mom is an investigator in a public defense office. Why don't you get hooked up with her? And I was like, that sounds like a great idea that I can, I can, you know, I can, I can do whatever this is for a couple of months. I can, and, you know, kind of my, my biggest gripe with, uh, on my long list of gripes with the, you know, American criminal justice system is that we've kind of put the law enforcement side of things on a pedestal. So I was like, oh, I can work for the bad guys for a little while. That's fine. Uh, No big deal. And I ended up going and doing this internship as an investigative intern, as an undergrad, I was maybe 19 or 20. I was like, I'm a kid now, but I'm, I was a baby then. And I like went, (laughs) did a full like nine to five, you know, internship with these people every day of the week and walked away and was like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. You know, there was no question in my mind. I was like, Oh my God. It was like, I'd been like hit by lightning. I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do forever. And from there, I basically, you know, I was like, looks like I'm going to be a civil servant and make next to nothing and, you know, do this. So 
that I love. <laughs> so Marcus, what was it about the job that you absolutely loved? What was it that made you say, I can do this forever? Because people seem to always be looking for that thing that they will love completely, but there was something there. What was it specifically for you? The people on every level, my clients, you know, the, I always say, I'm like, you can't work in a public defender office without having like a, a, an ego or a personality bigger than God. Everybody that I've ever met who's been a public defender in some way, shape or form has always been fascinating. They're fun. You know, everybody, we've all got our quirks. We're all kind of, you know, intolerable assholes, but you know, we're, I've never worked in an office where I've been like, I hate everybody here. I hate this job. I hate like this, the, everybody comes together for this mission, this, you know, we serve this kind of indigent and, you know, disenfranchised population. And, you know, the cards are totally stacked against them. The government is, is, you know, I always joke, the only two jobs that are guaranteed by the constitution of the United States of America are journalists and public defenders. Like the, like that kind of like, you know, well, the presidency stop. technically. <laughs> I guess, I guess technically. there are a couple others, I think Marcus, <laughs> but like, you know, the two, the two kind of in like the first couple are, are, yeah. you know, fair, when it's, fair, when it's, fair when it's enough. This, and yeah. when the mission is like that pure, in my opinion, it's like, you know, I, one of my colleagues um, once said, you know, we're the constitution in action. Like we're yeah, the only thing yeah. standing between our, our, our clients and the full weight of the government. So even if my clients are guilty of sin, I will fight tooth and nail to do whatever it takes to make sure that, you know, if it's going to be a hang, it's going to be a fair hanging. And right. <laughs> if the government doesn't, doesn't deserve it, they don't deserve it. You know, yeah. don't care if my well, client's guilty or not. You know, Marcus, actually, when you see most of the depictions of the American eagle, there's the sword and the shield. And I've always viewed public defenders as the shield in that metaphor. And look, I, I actually, before we get into the specifics of your day, which I think will be fascinating enough, let me pose one more philosophical question, because I think people ask about this all the time. Like, you know, I, I do all, almost all of my expert witness work is for public defenders and for the defense bar. And I think about this all the time. So from a philosophical point of view, have you ever had to wrestle with that piece of it? You know, that the work that you're doing is on behalf of people who may actually have done some bad things. No, never. I thought that would be a longer discussion. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll get to, I'll get to why I'll get to why. And it's not because I'm a sociopath. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Which, which I am not. <laughs> I have actually, and I think a big part of that is, I mean, I can I can safely count on one hand the number of clients where I've been like, ooh, you know, you belong in jail for the rest of your life. But it's always with that caveat of like, how did we get here? Like I said, kind of my background is in forensic psychology and sociology. So, you know, I have to, I look at my clients and even the most broken damaged, you know, for lack of a better word, evil people, like, you know, like, and like I said, I can, I can, I can say there are two people that I've ever interacted with in my career. It hasn't been a long, it's been about a decade or so, two people in my career where I can say this person is evil, but then you have to look at them and you, you say, well, how did we get here? You know, and there's always, I mean, it's this, you know, kind of cycle of, of violence and disenfranchisement and, you know, my clients, you know, even if they're awful, nasty, horrible people, they like, 
my my mentor Chris you know he always says like you have to look at them and like think like they were a little kid once like how did we get here um and you know there's always trauma there's always the cycle and it's you know part of what I think is our job and, you know, what we've kind of had thrust upon us by the system because, you know, they don't want to take care of our clients. We're taking care of our clients. You know, most of what I do is investigation, whatever that means. Um, But another big part of what I do is just, you know, I sit and I listen to people and I listen to them talk about their lives and their problems. And like, part of it is trying to fix that and get them to where they need to be, you know, in whatever way. I mean, and if Most necessary the- to accept responsibility for what they've done. You know, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, if the need arises, you know, it's right. kind of get there. but, um, you know, it, it's, it's mostly, you know, you've got to look at, and, and when I say, how did we get here? You know, part of that is, you know, like, well, why did, why did you do this thing? Did you, did you do that? Because, you know, you, you know, are addicted to drugs or you've, you know, you've got your own issues or, you know, you witnessed violence growing up and so that's all, you know, like, you know, or like, do you have some sort of serious mental health issues that need to be addressed? Um, You know, these are the things that, you know, for lack of like the state doesn't often care about. Um, I think we're really, we're really lucky here in Chittenden County because we have a prosecutor who's willing to work with us and willing to, to look at these things. But, you know, kind of my, my like hot take is there's no such thing as a progressive prosecutor. If you're a prosecutor, you're putting people in prison, you're putting people in cages. That's kind of the bottom line. Um, You can be better about it. You can, you know, talk, talk a big game. And I think that we're lucky in comparison to other parts of the country, but it's still like, we're the ones advocating for our clients, <laughs> you right. know? Well, like, and, and I, and I do think it's useful. Um, Jethro, I know you, I, you have a question as well, but I do think it's useful for our audience to frame this geographically that your office is in Burlington, Vermont, which is the Northwest corner of the state of Vermont. So kind of a, <laughs> for lack of a better term, kind of a special area in the United we're, we're States. The la- we're the land of Bernie. Like, you know, <laughs> we are, we are about as, we're about as liberal as it gets, you know, there, there are definitely, you know, there's definitely, a, even in terms of, you know, super liberal areas and super blue areas, you know, crime is one of those things that when push comes to shove, if you really kind of, when, when you ask me the question, it's like, well, how do you wrestle with this moral conscience? I mean, I can't tell you how many girlfriends I've had who have been like, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> you know, and um, the, the answer is, you know, even the most liberal people, if you kind of really stick their face in this and you go, well, when we talk about justice reform, we're not just talking about the, the, the theoretical innocent person sitting in jail. We're talking everybody. We're talking yeah. even the guiltiest people. So we've really got a, you've got a really say like when you talk about justice reform what are you talking about here and it can be hard for some people to swallow (laughs) in in, in my in my experience well and i think the thing to go back to is what you said that um all of these people that you are defending are first and foremost people they're human beings Mm -hmm. and regardless of what got them to that point they're they're not something else besides a human they they are a human who may have made a bad choice. And sometimes those choices are really, really bad. And sometimes those people really are evil, but still they're people first. And that's an important thing that, you know, in my experience in the education system, 
when when we start treating kids like numbers or like something besides a human being, that's where we forget what our job is. And and so I appreciate having people who have that belief in the public defender's office because it'd be really easy for you to become jaded and cynical about it and start thinking like, well, I see this happen all the time. Therefore, these people must just be awful. But obviously, you're not in that camp. And so I appreciate that. and think it's important for people to be in that role who have that opinion like you do. No, I appreciate that. I mean, it's it's really, yeah, it's really easy to write these people off. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really easy to to kind of you're right, be jaded and cynical. And I think there are days where I'm just like, you know, I, I, I'm there and, you know, you always <laughs> kind of have to like bring it back and, and really, you know, and that's, you know, I, I said, you know, people in public center offices, they're a different type of breed. Like I've, you know, I talk about my day and I talk about the people I work with, with my friends and my, and my loved ones. And, and they're just like, like you work at the zoo, like you work at, you work at <laughs> and I'm like, kind of, um, and it's, you know, this office, you know, I'm, I'm so lucky to be in Chittenden County because we all, you know, there are days where we scream and yell and fight with each other and, and we're all passionate and we have our different opinions and, you know, we're all, but at the end of the day, we all have this kind of common mission and we all care about each other. Like, you know, there are times where I've been, you know, totally despondent about a case or even just about my life and, you know, my colleagues, I, I think we're closer to like a family than anything, which is really, you wouldn't be able to do this job otherwise. You can't do this. Like, I, I think if I went over and I talked to the prosecutor's office in town, and I ask them what their, you know, what their relationship is like with their colleagues. I don't think it's anywhere near this level. We're all so close and we all care about each other. We all care about each other personally. And so we're here to lift each other up and, you know, kind of you know, give us each other a little rah-rah when we need it. And, you know, when we need a little bit of tough love, we get it. And we're just, we're here to support each other, which I think is also a huge part. You can't do this work. The burnout is so real without colleagues who are going to help you. Well, um, and so I, would, I would... Marcus, I would think that that a large chunk of the esprit de corps comes from the odds that you and your clients face mm-hmm. in a very real sense in the justice departments, in the justice system. So let's dial this, this down a little bit and talk, uh, particularly for the benefit of parents and educators, about what your work is like. So you, you gave us such a great metaphor to start with, right? Your, your job starts when those handcuffs get clicked. Right. So what's going on after that? I mean, for, for people who, you know, thankfully have not had to deal with you, what, (laughs) what, what, what happens in your day? What are you looking for? What kinds of jobs are you asked to do? Oh my God. I, people ask me this all the time because I tell them what I do and, you know, the first question is, oh my God, what's your day like? Like I actually, (laughs) I just got back into dating and like, you know, I'm on, Tinder and stuff. And I'm, you know, people, that's like one of the first things I ask is like, oh, what do you do for, what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a criminal defense investigator. And people are like, well, what does it, what does that entail during your day? Like, what's, what's, what's your day look like? And I'm like, I can't even tell you because, you know, the, uh, I forget who said it, but it's like, you know, battle plans are great until, but the first rule of combat is like first contact and I'll go something, something <laughs> to that effect. And right. You know, so I, I may have a plan for my day, but it's, it, 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 it's, I'd never do the same thing twice, you know, but kind of the basics are, you know, I like, you know, kind of, I get a theoretical case. Um, I primarily work felonies. I'm a felony investigator. So primarily it's kind of more kind of, you know, higher level shit, but I do deal with misdemeanors and kind of other, other stuff that kind of comes along the way. And um, I got a case 
and I read the affidavit and the affidavit is basically what the police used to put the cuffs on him there. That's the con there. They, and, and police are really good at writing affidavits to make it look like you are guilty as sin. But as we know, cops can lie. Cops can lie or they can omit things or they can, you know, they, they are painting, they're painting inside of a, a very narrow box, the statutes of the crime. So they're, they're trying to fit your conduct to a statute. And my first job is, is I read the affidavit and I see my first question I ask is what's there and what's missing? Because there's always something missing in the affidavit, whether it's good or bad. And from there, usually I get the client in, whoever the client may be, and I ask them what happened. And not just what happened, but I ask him what, what's, you know, kind of that point of that I was making before. It's like, you know, these people like who like they were a kid at some point. I, I usually, you know, typically part of the interview is, is I ask them, you know, tell me about your life. Like, how did we get here? Like, I ask them to answer that question. How did we get here? You know, where were you born? What was it like growing up? Who were your parents? Um, who were you, who who were you hanging around with? What were you doing? Um, you know, did you go to school? Did you not go to school? Do you have any mental health issues, or do you have any substance abuse issues? And and really unpacking who they are as a person, kind of kind of what I like to tell my clients, because sometimes I'll get the client who's like, "Well, this doesn't matter in my case." I'm like, "Yes, it does. It it matters because I need to understand who you are as a person and how did we get to this point." So, you know, really trying to unpack that. And then the next thing I do is usually I look at the evidence of the case or what we call in the state discovery. So, you know, that may be anything from pictures to videos to statements to witness lists to the things that they find at a crime scene, like anything, really anything, anything the police think that they can use to convict you. They can, they take it, they bag it and they put it down. Looking at all that and saying, you know, are there any legal issues in this case? You know, is there... Are there issues with it? Were there any search warrants? You know, and that stuff is a little, you know, I'm, I'm not an attorney. So like I have a, I have a very rude, like I wouldn't even say rudimentary. I'd say it's probably a couple levels higher, higher than like the average Joe's, you know, just being, <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're in it and you're, and you're living it. You're listening to the attorneys talk and, you know, you're, you're hearing and you're, you're understanding what, what basically they need in order to get to where they need to go as what the cops need to arrest you. So like, you know, I can look at something and say, eh, that's a little hinky. What is that? You know? And then I usually consult with the attorney and I say, here's what's going on. And you know, this is what the client says and this is what the evidence says. And this is where I think I'm going to end up going. And I'm going to talk to X, Y, and Z witnesses, or I'm going to do X, Y, and Z thing. And we'll go from there. And eventually, you know, we, we keep kind of chipping away at it until we have got a bigger picture and looking at things and seeing the whole picture because, you know, to be quite frank, um, cops, once they get the elements of the crime, once they paint that little cute box and that enough to put the bracelets on you, they stop. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a case. And like I said, I look for the things that are missing. And I look at, I say, well, if I were looking at this case, I would have done that. I would have gone there. I would have talked to that person. I would have done this thing. You know, I can't tell you how many times, like, you know, the kind of the example that pops into my head right now is, you know, I had a case where um, somebody was alleged to have violated a, a stocking order and it was contact in a grocery store. And, you know, the client said, no, 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 this was just, I, I wasn't stalking her. I, I didn't know that she was there. I was going grocery shopping and the cops, all they had gotten was the one like clip of them passing in the grocery store. And I went and I got all of the footage and I tracked them through the grocery store and lo and behold, you know, my client is just going up and down the aisles, grocery shopping, pulling stuff out and doing stuff. And the second he passes by this person, he knows it's her. He puts his stuff back and he leaves, which uh -huh. is what you're supposed to do. Right. And 
you know, we showed it to the prosecutors and, you know, basically I was like, I got all this extra footage. And if you just had this bit from the cop, you'd think, yeah, this guy's guilty. He was stalking her. But, you know, you're looking at this and I'm, I'm watching the video and I'm like, that's how I shop. I go up and down the aisles and I pick up stuff that I need. And then I, you know, <laughs> I think that's how everybody shops. <laughs> you know? Well, that's, that's such a great example, you know, of, of how technology, right. Has affected the work that we all do. I mean, so, you know, it gave the cop in that particular instance, the ability to carve out one scene that seemed to create a depiction of guilt, but then you've got all of this other technological material to pull from to give a broader context. Now, obviously, as you and I know, sometimes that can just make things a little less clear and a little uh, hazier. Look, I mean, the same thing happens with respect to computer forensics. And I think that you and I have talked about this, that from the police perspective, you know, the statute, for instance, involving child pornography simply talks about possession. Mm -hmm. So if a file is found on somebody's computer, that's the stopping point. They're not going to do any other research into the computer as to whether or not that file might have shown up by accident or whether there's some other non-criminal explanation for what happened. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear you talking about this need to go beyond what the police have done in terms of their investigation. Yeah, no, I mean, it's super important. I mean, I'm... You know, the the other thing I say when people ask me why you why do you like being a public defender so much, and I'm like, because I get to have way more fun than the cops. I do my job way better than them. Um, you know, I, I, I don't. This will be very popular in certain police barracks, Marcus. Seriously. <laughs> I, yeah, I hear what you, I look. I hear what you're saying, and I so and believe I, me that. Go ahead, Jether. I, I just want to go back to the question about technology and, and surveillance and those kinds of things and how how much that plays a role now compared to how much it did previously in investigations. And you gave a great example of how you can take one little thing out and say, yes, that person's guilty, or you can look at the whole thing and, and see a different story. But how much has technology, surveillance, things like that played a role now, including like tracking people with their phones or what they post on social media, stuff like that? You know, I haven't been in the game as long as other people have, as they say. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, I've only been doing this since I was, you know, 1920. I'm 27 now. It's been almost a decade. But, you know, like my my mentor, uh, Chris, who's also in this office, um, he's been doing this job, you know, twice as long as I've been alive. Um, and so he, <laughs> he, started, he started in the 70s and, you know, has been a public defender investigator up until now. And he is always talking about, you know, this is a young man's sport. This is the amount of the amount of that sort of technology. And I, and I, and, you know, he'll, he's, his ears are probably ringing right now because I'm talking about him, but, um, you know, he's, you know, not as, as technological, like he's, he's, he's in his late sixties, you know, so he doesn't have the same kind of grip on technology that like, let's say me a millennial would, and I'm not even that good with that, but he's, you know, he's always like, well, this is a totally different ballgame. Like technology is just, it permeates almost every single case we have in some way, shape or form permeates every single case we have, whether that be, you know, for example, in domestics, you know, I get a domestic case and, you know, usually in some way, shape or form, technology plays a part in it. But like right now I've got a case where I'm reading through text messages between these two. 
because, mm-hmm. you know, I think that there, there may not be the whole thing. And I'm reading through the text messages and, you know, she says one thing and says, yeah, I know this guy's a scary control freak. And, da, 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 da. and you know, he's like, I'm, 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 I don't know what the heck she's talking about. I'm reading the text messages and, you know, you're, you're communicating with somebody constantly. You're, you're how you interact with them on text is super important. I mean, I think at this point, all of our phones are glued to our hands. We're always texting people. We're always talking to people. That information is super important. It really paints a picture in terms of my work and how you are communicating with somebody. Um, you know, it's always there. You can't get rid of that, you know. And, Mar- and- Marcus, if I can, I, I, you know, I think you're making a really important point for both parents and educators to keep in mind, which is how much information we generate about ourselves that's potentially relevant to a criminal case. I remember, you know, when I was doing uh, more frequent lectures for defense attorneys and public defenders and so forth. And I would say to them, you know, look, 15 years ago, a bar fight was just a bar fight. You know, two guys get a little drunk, they go at each other in the parking lot. Nowadays, it's a bar fight that's preceded by text messages or trash talking on Snapchat or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a much different evidentiary environment. And we're creating a lot of our own evidence. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon to get, you know, phone dumps in, in any case, really. I mean, there are cases where, you know, you wouldn't think that this stuff would be important. It's important in every single case. You're generating so much stuff. I mean, my, my advice to all of you who are listening, it's like, if you don't want the cops to read it, don't put it in writing. <laughs> text it. Don't do nothing about it. Just, just leave it. Like, whatever text you were going to send, don't, don't do it. It's going to be there forever. Um, you know, you're, and, and from everything, I mean, any kind of case you can think of from misdemeanor domestics you know, and simple assaults and stuff like that all went to murder. I've got a murder case right now where it's a, it's a circumstantial case against my client. It's, but I say it's a circumstantial case. It's a really good circumstantial case. And most <laughs> of the stuff is cell phone data. It's tracking him. It's, it's, it's putting him in places. It's, you know, I've, you know, I've got probably close to 40 gigabytes worth of phone dumps from everybody involved in the case. And you're, the data is so voluminous that, you know, we're still sifting through it. We have, we have hired people to sift through this data because there's so much of it. Everything you do, it's all, it's all in this little box. It's all in this little box and it's just, it's there. And so it's super important to, (laughs) you know, my advice to you is if you're going to commit any crimes, leave your phone at home. Um, But even then, even then, you know, you're looking at the, you know, you're looking at the data and, you know, if you're, if you're the kind of person, your phone is constantly in your hand and you're always doing stuff all the time, except for like the three hours that you sleep, you know, a significant period of time that you're not doing anything on the phone also speaks volumes. So tell us what phone dumps are and explain what you get when you get a phone dump. So there are several different types of their, their, their extraction uh, devices and some of them, you know, the, the other thing, my, one of my, you know, many gripes with the, with the, you know, the way our system is, is that some of these extractions devices, you can only purchase if you're a law enforcement agent. So if you work for the cops or whatever. Um, so some of these, we don't even get access to as public defenders. We only get- You just that. get access to the end result. We right. get access to the end result. So we can't, let's say, you know, I have a, I have a phone and I need to get into it. And it's, you know, the police don't have it. Police don't know about it. Or, you know, we, they, the police had it, but they let us have it. And we want to get into it. We want to dump the phone. So there, there are, you know, we contract with some, you know, agencies, but they're not law enforcement, obviously. So, you know, there, there are different, you know, types of programs and they basically make a copy of your phone. 
That's what it is. And it doesn't, it's not always perfect. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't always work. There are some times where even the best, you know, extraction devices, either the phone is corrupted or there's really good anti like, like, you know, virus software or like firewalls or whatever, you know, it doesn't always, doesn't, it's always perfect. Uh, you have to assume though, that they're going to get it. They're going to assume that they're going to get it. You know, so these things make a copy of the phone and it's a much easier way for me, an investigator, to kind of sit through and sift through it and say, these are all the text messages that this person sent. I can filter it between just this person and this person or like, you know, whatever photos or videos they had on the phone or whatever, even, even down to, 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 you know, location, you know, certain apps will track your, will track your movements um, if you got a little little Fitbit app or whatever, and you're you say yes, you can track me. Um, <laughs> guess what? Your phone's tracking you. That data is saved. That's there. They can use that. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, that this is something that I took a look at a little bit early earlier in my uh, computer forensics career. And of course, the leading manufacturers celebrate, which I think is one of the law enforcement only. No, programs. it's not celebrate. Oh, is we it? get to use now. We get oh, to you use do now. get to. Okay, so that's changed. Yeah, so that's has, that's. Yeah. That's good to know. But the point really, I think, and this this expands a bit on what Marcus is saying, Jethro, is that they're really dumping out all text messages, all photos, the tracking device, emails that are on your phone, pretty much anything that you've saved to the device that is recoverable. Mm-hmm. And it's all fair game. If they have a legal search warrant to get into the phone, which mm-hmm. is a whole different question right there. Mm-hmm. But assuming that you have a valid search warrant, everything on the phone is fair game. Sometimes a judge will limit, right, Marcus, Mm -hmm. the scope of the search of a phone. Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, maybe the cops can show justification for text messages, but not every photo, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, a public defender would fight on those grounds, you know, in terms of what's admissible. But the, the Marcus's point, and this is obviously not a recommendation of the show or the center for cyber ethics is that you do not want to be carrying your phone around every time you are off, you know, the reservation, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, the other, the other thing that I would say, just as anybody who's listening, um, the police, if you're, if, if, you know, the cops want to talk to you and they want to say, Hey, we want to, we want to take a look at your phone. We want to search your phone. You know, everybody is always thinking, well, I got nothing to hide on here. You know, whatever you can take my phone. It's fine. Um, make them get a warrant. <laughs> That's, that's, that's my advice to you is make them get a warrant, make them work for it. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've had clients just be like, yeah, here's my phone, no big deal. Um, and whatever, you know, same thing with, you know, searching, you know, anything else, searching your car, the cops ask you, Hey, can I search your car? Um, you don't have to say yes. You never have to say yes. Make them get a warrant. That's that's always my favorite thing to do. I've had that happen to me a couple of times. I've gotten pulled over. And, you know, especially when I was, you know, transitioning from Connecticut to Vermont, um, you know, I get pulled over in my my big black SUV with tinted windows all the time. And they'd be like, hey, can we search your car? I'd be like, come back with a warrant, please. And they'd never get <laughs> that, was the end of it. that was the well, end of it. To follow up. Marcus, to follow up on Jethro's question, which I think is a really good one about the impact of technology, let's give parents something else to think about, which is to ask you as a public defender investigator, do you see the people coming into your office trending younger because of technology? Is technology playing a role in terms of the types of offenses you're seeing? I would say, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I do think that you know, I have cases with younger people 
And there's always, you know, some sort of, I can't even, I, I, I can't answer that question actually. Cause Interesting. You know, okay. it's, it's not, it's, you know, I don't think it's about age per se. I mean, I do, I have had my hands in a, in a couple of, um, you know, juvenile cases recently. I don't typically do juvenile work, but I have had my hands in a couple of those cases recently and there, you know, it depends. Um, but I have a lot of clients who, you know, are, are maybe older, you know, same thing. I mean, I'm getting clients who are, you know, in their fifties or sixties and they're giving me their phones and they're saying, look at all these text messages I have, or, you know, what, like, you know, things like that. So I, I wouldn't say it's at this point, I think the technology permeates our society so much mm-hmm. that it's omnipresent. I don't think it matters age wise. I think that definitely people who are younger are going to be definitely in it a little bit more. I mean, you know, cases where, you know, there's young people and there's always a video recording of whatever. There's always somebody <laughs> whipping out their camera and saying, hey, let me record it. These guys are fighting. Let me let me record it. Or, you know, this person's screaming and yelling at me. I'm going to record it. Always. There's always that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, at this point, kind of the, you have to be, you know, I don't want to say you have to be assumed, you have to assume that you're on camera because it's not, a, that's not always the case, but somebody is probably recording or there's, you know, something, you know, that's, it's just so omnipresent at this point that I think that you have to assume that it's going to play a part in whatever, even in the, for me, even the stupidest cases, I am still, you know, there's some level of technology that's associated with it. It seems to me then that one of the takeaways is that this has made your job more difficult. There's more material for you to go through and to work with. (laughs) I would, I would agree with that. I, I mean, (laughs) like I said, I think that, you know, there have been times where, you know, there have been times where somebody's gotten their phone dumped for a case or whatever, and it doesn't actually have anything useful in it, but you still get 40 gigs of data. And, you know, to do your due diligence, you've got to look through it and make sure there's nothing there. And, you know, then I'll spend a couple of hours, you know, just picking through this shit and there's nothing in there that's useful, nothing in there that's, that's not useful. You know, it's just, it's just kind of there. And so it's, it's more time consuming for sure. And it's definitely, you know, there's a lot of, data mining you know you gotta sit there like you know the one of the domestics i'm working on you know this couple only dated for just over six months and i'm sifting through 2300 pages of text messages oh my god. like <laughs> i'm i'm like i'm like god do, do you guys like ever stop talking do you guys give each other a break maybe if you took a break we want to be here um but well, and that, so, was, that was the question that I was going to ask, Marcus, is this kind of stuff, you know, we're communicating so much more virtually, so it must create a tremendous amount of data for someone to sift through. And is that something that you can have a computer program go through these things for you and pull out, can you search for specific words? I'm sure you can, but is that really effective or do you need the human perception to understand like when things are starting to head downhill or things like that, how much does your human perception play into versus a computer just saying, here's five instances where they fought? I think it definitely needs the human element. I think that that's kind of in the spirit of public defense. And I think that that's also kind of what separates us from law enforcement because a lot of those run the algorithms and look at all this. And they'll, you know, I think for me, especially, you know, I, I always prep for cases like they're going to go to trial. So you have to look at and you have to absorb everything. And especially in these cases where, you know, most of the cases that I deal with, it's, it's about people, it's about interpersonal relationships, it's about conflicts. So you need to understand the, the dynamic between people. 
you know, like in cases like domestics, you know, an algorithm is not going to be able to go through an algorithm is going to be able to flag when the number of times this person says this, but they're not going to get, it's not going to get the flavor of the relationship. It's not going to understand that. Okay. So, you know, this is where, you know, it's just words, you know, you read it and you can see the intent behind it. Um, if you like, you know, in this particular case with the 2,300 pages of text messages, you know, at this point, I feel like I am so enmeshed in this relationship that <laughs> I, you know, and I can, and I can understand like now that I've read these 2,300 pages of text messages, I understand kind of the dynamic between the two. And so even when they weren't physically together, you know, you can kind of look at it and say, oh, okay, like this is, this is, you know, kind of how they interact. And this is, this is where the communication wasn't great. And, you know, you need to kind of have that personal touch, I think, you know, because, I think also just to kind of have a leg up on the state, I think the state is always going to look at this through a very black and white. Like I looked for how many times he said this and this is how many times. And then I could say, well, you know, in that conversation, like, you know, this is the context, you know, you need right. to break it down and show like, you know, this is the intent behind it. It's, it's kind of like I said, with the, with the, the security camera in the, in the grocery store, it's like, you get this one snapshot. You want to be able to look at the whole thing, including the emotion and the intent behind these words. You know, I can say, you know, I'm going to kill you. And, you know, and if you just take that one text message and you say, um, you know, look at this, Marcus is a bad guy. He said he's going to kill them. But then, you know, if you look at the rest of the conversation, it's like, I'm going to kill you if you keep being mean to yourself. And I just want you to succeed. And, da, 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 da. and like, you know, it's like you're, you've, got to, you've got to look at the whole thing. You've got to look at the whole thing. So, um, you know, Marcus, I, I have to say that, that you really underscored for us the voyeuristic aspect of the work that you do. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, no. So, I mean, so, I, go ahead. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do this work if I didn't. I, I always joke. I'm like, I love people. People are fascinating. Like, you know, I just, I get to, I get to sit there and like get enmeshed and it's, and it's really messy and it's really ugly and I'm a, I'm a mess. So, you know, I, I love, I love this kind of stuff and it, you know, sometimes it drives me insane and I sit there and I'm like, what the hell are these people thinking? But, you know, it is kind of that, you're right, this is the <laughs> aspect of it that I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's fun, you know, yeah. it's for me, I just find people fascinating, you know, I, well, I wouldn't do this work otherwise. I, I hear yeah. what you're saying. Well, let me give you one last opportunity if you if there is anybody listening to this who does not want you reading their text messages what should they be doing not putting them in writing uh, yeah <laughs> i think that's like that seems do, do it do it in person and make sure there are no other witnesses um <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that's the, a great start. The, the, the other, the other response is, is, you know, don't, <laughs> you never have to talk to the cops. You know, all you have to give is, is, you know, name and, and, and ID and that's it. You know, you never have to give the police anything, you know, anything you say can and will be used against you. So if they say, Hey, can I look at your phone? You say, yeah, this will totally exonerate me. Like I said, they can take that one little snapshot and that's it. That's all they get. You know, I can't, you know, I always tell my clients, I'm like, you're going to do what you're going to do. Um, just be smart about it. You know, Excellent. don't, don't do nothing stupid. So, <laughs> well, that's, that's global <laughs> advice, Marcus. <laughs> and, and, well, you know, I, 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 yeah, <laughs> I'd really, I'd really like to thank you for, for coming on the show and, and educating us about this. It's a fascinating area. 
my sister, I will have to get her to listen to this because I think she's seen every Law & Order episode that was ever produced. So if we had the rights to the music, Jethro, we could go out on that. <laughs> yeah, but we can't afford a lawsuit from them for sure. No, no, no. I, I, always, I always say, I'm like, don't stop. Stop watching Law & Order. Watch Perry Mason instead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there. See, I'm the only one on the show who's actually watched Perry Mason live. So there you go. Oh, man, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. <laughs> anyway, I tell people, I'm like, if you if you want to think about what I do, like Perry Mason, I'm I'm his investigator. What's his name? Paul. I'm Paul. I'm Paul Drake. And people, that's and it, Paul Drake. Right. Paul Drake. I'm like, people are always like, oh yeah, I love Perry Mason. And I'm like, that's right. We Paul go. Drake and Della Street was his secretary. Absolutely. Yes. Well, oh, a little flashback for the uh, white-haired members of our audience. <laughs> so, no, not you, Jethro. <laughs> not even close. No, anyway, that wraps. Oh, it's a pleasure, Marcus. Yeah, absolute pleasure. So that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, public defense, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to a growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps, though I think we'll be posting there much less often now. And if you're still listening, you must have enjoyed this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating and review. And we look forward to having you for our live show on Monday. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to ixl.com slash B to learn how IXL's research proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's ixl.com slash B-E.